Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, and wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Teresa Carrington. She is an innovator, a humanitarian, an unlikely change agent. She is the CEO of the Blessing Basket Project, which works to generate opportunities, empower entrepreneurs, and create prosperity in the lives of more than 2,000 people around the world every day. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you so much. So we are sitting here amongst a beautiful array of baskets and aprons and purses and scarves and oh my gosh. Yeah, there's a lot of handiwork here that we're looking at, a lot of, a lot of craftsmanship. And amazingly gorgeous. So tell us, <laughs> tell me, how, how did this come to be? Well, you know, <laughs> that's a little bit of a journey. <laughs> First of all, watch the TEDx talk. That's right. You'll get a great there. backstory. <laughs> well, I think like uh, just about most entrepreneurs, you, you happenstance into something. You know, something comes together in your life and the universe calls you to do something. And um, I'd like to say that when that moment came for me, I went running. I was like, yes, I'm going to save the world. That's what I'm going to do. That's why I'm on the planet. Actually, what happened is I was looking at my computer as these emails were coming in from all over the world. I had I grew up below the poverty line here in the United States. I'm an adopted kid and I know what it's like not to have hope. Right. I know what it's like to be trapped in conditions that are beyond your control. And so when life brought me to a space where I felt like it was time for me to give back to the world, pe- you know, people that had done so much for me that I could never pay back, but I needed to pay it forward. Um, I sent out an email literally to the world, and this would have been back in 2003 when uh, we didn't have Twitter or Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram or Pinterest or all of these wonderful ways to reach the world. So back in those archaic days, (laughs) 12 whole years ago, um, I sent an email to the world through a... um, a board, um, an online chat room, basically. Okay. Okay. And um, I said, this is who I am and this is what I want to do. And if you can weave, then contact me. And overnight, I heard from uh, 12 countries. And within two weeks, we were up to 25 countries and more than 80 inquiries. Oh, my gosh. So my inbox is just being flooded. And that's the moment where I'm staring at my computer. And I've got two young kids I'm raising at the time. And I'm going, hmm, uh, I just said I was thinking about this. (laughs) I didn't actually say I was going to do it. So I think, y'all, people just need to go. And (laughs) no, I'm really not. I'm not your girl. I've decided now that that was just a good idea that I'm not going to be able to to do. So, uh, But of course, you know when you're being being asked by the universe to do something. And I realized that I believe that I've been uniquely equipped to help people in a way that only I can, just as your life experiences have uniquely equipped you to do what you do. And it's kind of why we're sitting here today, because you're uniquely equipped to do this. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I was uh, felt that I was uniquely equipped to tackle the job. And much like any other entrepreneur, you just set out upon your journey. And here we are 12 years later, we're in seven countries. We serve 3,500 artisans on any given day. We've graduated hundreds out of poverty formally. Many hundreds more have left on their own because they were so successful through the models that we have developed and perfected over the last 12 years. 
And you you just won a very amazing award. Yeah, that's, I think uh, you should talk about that. Um, it's something we're pretty proud of, actually. Um, the Blessing Basket Project has patent-pending technology that we developed from the ground up, and it's called Artisan and You. And this technology is the world's largest artisan engagement technology. And what it means is, is when you go uh, and find our products anywhere, where they're available online, Whole Foods Market, many other places— you'll see the very face of the very artisan who made that very basket or that very product. And, and I am. I'm looking at one right now. You gave me this beautiful basket, and this was made by Stellar. That's right. Yeah. And I take and all I of these. And I can connect with Stellar. I get to exactly have a conversation right. with the person that made this basket with That is hands. exactly right. Oh, my gosh. I love this. And that innovation, that technology, is what got the attention of the United Nations. And they give out an intercultural innovation award every year to 10 worthy nonprofit organizations from all over the globe. It's underwritten and sponsored by the BMW group. So BMW in Munich has a team that is also part of the judging team. They've got experts from around the globe that judge the entries. And for 2016, they received over 1,000 entries from 150 countries. And the Blessing Basket Project was the only one chosen from the United States. So we were among nine awardees for 2016, and we won this UN award because of this innovative technology that we use to bring cultures together. And it's amazing because these are people that really do not have access to computers and social media and what have you. So there is a way. So so how does that work? If I, when I can, I mean, she's not sitting at a computer. So Mm -hmm. how does that work? So this technology amplifies the voice of people in the world's farthest flung villages. So As I was out there solving poverty and ending poverty in the lives of these people, I realized they all had these very powerful stories, and the world needed to hear those stories. So that's one of the many reasons that we developed this technology. And so the way it works with Stella, did you say was your artisan's name? Yeah, it's it's, it's Stellar, S-T-E-L-L-E-R. Okay, so Stellar. So for Stellar, she will come to the country director and present her baskets for payment, Through this technology that is cloud-based, the country director will pull up her name, and in that process, on the screen, there is an alert that says, hey, Stellar has a letter waiting from one of her customers. The country director will click on it, and in that moment, all of our country directors and all of the associates that we hire on the ground are all locals from that country, but they're also bilingual. They all know English. So the country director will immediately on the spot in her local language translate your letter to her. She will give her response in her local language. It's typed up in that moment and the country director hits send. Now here's where the big moral dilemma came. To open up the world is a huge responsibility. Right. I thought, what kind of portal am I opening for Stellar and the artisans like her around the world? And there was a great sense of responsibility in yeah. that. And Good so, for you, though, that you have that. Yeah. Good for you that you have that that sense of responsibility. Right. So it's like, what? how do we handle this? So we developed a process by which when your outgoing letter goes out, it'll hit Blessing Basket server. 
And we've got a team of volunteers that review those letters. And our goal is to never touch a letter. We never want to uh, fiddle with it. Right. But we're looking for certain things that I'm, I'm not going to name because we, we want to make sure that nobody knows to avoid those things, right? <laughs> so we're looking for certain things that we, w- that we think um, could bring potential harm to the artisan. So then once we're sure it's safe, and I don't think we've had to edit one yet, that it was a problem. So out it goes. And then the same for the incoming. So when Stella writes her letter back to you, it comes and sits on our server. Um, a, a volunteer will approve that letter, and then it's released to you. Today, since we um, released this technology now about two years ago, we've literally had thousands of letters exchanged between people in North America and our artisans in the farthest reaching villages on the planet. Oh, my gosh. And so let's talk. We have a sound clip from a country director. Can we yeah. listen to that sound clip? Yeah. So um, let's talk to Sarah about let's let's let Sarah tell us a little bit about why the project matters and how it makes a difference. Perfect. If they buy this basket, we come happy. We shall be up like other women's in other countries without money. You can't be like another people. You have to be behind because of money. When you tell your friend that, ah, where have you got that money? Say, Blessing basket is done. Who helps me to do these things? All these things. I have cutters, I have goats, I have hens. My children are going to school. So everything will be okay. Okay, that... Just hearing that, and it's so true. I mean, these people need money so that they can live their lives and do the things that they need to do for themselves and their children. And you're bringing that to them. Well, what's important to understand about our model is that our artisans won't weave baskets or produce handicraft forever. That's not our goal. It's just a vehicle to get them the revenue they need to start businesses. Uh, our, our graduate from poverty model requires that every artisan who joins our graduate from prov- poverty program, that they have to agree that they're going to start three businesses. And I can tell you, we'd be here for a little while, but I can tell you exactly the moment when an impoverished person tips from poverty to prosperity. I can tell you why those three businesses are so vital. And I can tell you how long it's going to take. And I can tell you how long it's going to take, including the number of dependents that they have. So in about three to five years time, when you purchase a Blessing Basket product, we are in about three to five years time going to be able to get that person out of poverty. And they're doing it in a way that is sustainable. So they'll come in, we get them sufficient wealth, they use that capital to start their businesses, along with many other things they're taking care of in their life, healthcare, education, all kinds of things are happening, but they'll use the excess money to start businesses. Those businesses begin to thrive, and it's that income that will carry them full and sustainably out of poverty, while at the same time, we're absolutely re-energizing their local economy. So yeah. we're we're jump-starting the local economy. The artisan is getting out of poverty sustainably. And then we bring in the next person, please. It's just amazing. And so it's prosperity wages is what it's so it's not like, oh, these people can live off a dollar a day to eat. It's it's prosperity wages. Right. Prosperity it's, wages is a model that we developed. And what it is, how we define it is 2.5 times at least. Uh, fair trade. So what we have found is the difference between fair trade and prosperity wage, that's where poverty ends. That space right there is how poverty ends. So we pay our artisans and guarantee them at least two and a half times fair trade. In Ghana, we have absolutely reset 
what is fair trade. And we're in that country, uh, I don't know if the right word is a victim of our own success, but we have absolutely raised fair trade wages up to prosperity wages for an entire region of Ghana, the, the Upper East region of Ghana. There are literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of basket weavers that don't weave for the blessing basket, but absolutely have their lives have been irrevocably changed because we are there setting the standard for what is. It's the only country in the world where today we're no longer two and a half times because we set the two and a half times. And then the rest of the basket suppliers, the middlemen, realizing that they were going to be taken out of the equation if they didn't start treating artisans correctly, started raising their prices. And wow. now they know in order to get baskets from Northern Ghana, they have to match the Blessing Basket Prosperity Wage. Otherwise, they are going to get inferior baskets, which many of them buy instead. Right. Um, but it's a way that we were able to change an entire region of, of the world. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah, very powerful to see what, what happens when Prosperity Wages enters um, a local economy. I love it. So should we should we listen to another one of your artisans? Yeah, so uh, we've got a, a lot of folks who really want their voice heard today. Let's hear from Lydia. Okay. This madam, a white Teresa, she gets interested so much with these baskets. She buys them. We get much money. We have constructed houses from this money. So we thank much Madame Teresa for the nice payments she always do to women. Well, Madame Teresa, <laughs> you have done awesome things for these women. I, I love, when I first met you, I was flabbergasted at everything you had done. I mean, I was like, okay, here, you know, you, you said, you said, I really do want, I want to end poverty. And I really do believe that's exactly what's going to happen with what you're doing. You're already mm -hmm. doing it. You're, you're, you're creating it everywhere you go. And then that you've also brought the whole technology into it. You're using what we have today in order to make this work for all these people and really bring them into the fold who may right. otherwise have been lost. We get to hear these people telling their stories, sharing with us. I mean, to me, this is there's there's a win-win, win-win, and win-win around all of this. Yeah, it's a real thrill when we're in the village and a woman gets a letter. And we get to read it to her. And an interesting side note about the letters, as you know, the first day that a letter came in, not only from the public, obviously a, a customer who had brought a Blessing Basket product, the first day that letter came in, we were so excited. So off it goes to, to the country. And as I began to watch the letter exchanges, I noticed that the artisan letter exchanges, the artisan was was just giving one line or two, like like the customer would pour out their heart, tell them the names of their kids and how this was an anniversary gift, and they drove 200 miles to their nearest, in this case, Whole Foods, to get them. I mean, just really just wow stories. And the artist would go, thank you for buying my baskets. Please buy more. And I, so I get on the ground, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, somebody talk to me about what's going on. I mean, you see this huge letter that this person has written, and then we get this response. And so I started talking to the artisans. And what I didn't see coming is they were petrified. Oh, really? They were petrified. They said, we don't know how to talk to Aww. the white. We don't know how to talk to the Solomia, or we don't know how to talk to the Bruni, or we don't know how... All of these are names that they use for foreigners. Okay. I said, oh my God, I didn't see that coming. 
okay, so let's sit down and let's have a conversation about it. And so I traveled all over the world and started talking to the artisans about here's here's what what we can say. And so we literally held classes where we would use one letter as an example and everybody would chime in. And today the letters are very robust that go oh. back and forth. Uh, so I didn't see that part coming. And well, that's no. part of innovating. Sometimes you just you you can't see something you know, that you don't know. But can, I can understand that because it's not like these people were in their midst. Right. You know, so this is completely foreign right. to them to even talk to these people. It's like, right. and, and, and also that feeling of, well, they never wanted to hear from me before. Or they want to hear from me now all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. You know, I can see the, the a lot of yeah. things going on inside your head and not knowing exactly, like, do they want to know about my family? Do they, th- yeah. I mean, are these people, you know, they're not watching TV programs and, and yeah. learning that we actually all sit around and want to learn about a bunch of other other people. Yeah. So, and when we asked, you know, why they were afraid or you know didn't know what to say, they were afraid of offending people. They didn't know what would be oh. culturally acceptable, what wouldn't. So we talked a little bit about that, um, and it was just the idea that someone was interested in their life uh, about the mundane things in their life or what they considered mundane, like my children and what I do every day and, you know, what do I, what am I growing in my fields and how do I use my basket? So that was a really fascinating time uh, as we rolled out this technology. And so now today the artisans are just rushed to see, do I have a letter? Have I gotten oh. a letter? When was my last letter? And uh, it for anybody who has written a letter to an artisan, at some as we started to roll out the technology, we were completely unprepared for the volume that would start coming in. I didn't realize how many in-country translators I was going to need. In one country, we had to actually buy a motorcycle and get a whole computer set up just for one person to go buzzing around and talking to, the, you know, doing letter exchanges. This oh is in Ghana where, where we've had, we have um, the lion's share of our artisans and the lion's share of our product is sold from Ghana. And so we just weren't ready. So, um, of course, we quickly got up to speed as quick as we could, <laughs> but but there was, I know, a few letters that sat in there for almost a year waiting to be answered by the artisans. And so I would say to anybody listening to this amazing podcast, hopefully on iTunes, um, <laughs> that if you've written a letter to a Blessing Basket artisan, please be patient because there's a whole fleet of people now that are, that are locals in country that we've hired just for the express purpose of doing this translation and opening the world to the artisans. And it was just the volume is something that we just didn't see coming and we weren't prepared for, but we're scaling quickly. So, so these thanks for people, your patience. They're, they're getting, but they're getting job, you, you know, so we think, okay, Blessing Basket Project. People are making baskets and, and other beautiful items. But now we've got a person that's running around on a motorcycle delivering messages. We've got the translators. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so, from, from just that basket, the beginning part of a basket, all the different, types of employment oh, yeah. that have blossomed That's because right. of baskets. That's exactly right. So we think that there's no better way to bring cultures together than through art. This, These are not your grandmother's baskets, no, as we like to say. gorgeous. They are really incredible. And all of the products that we bring forward um, are, are really in- exceptionally well done. And you can be assured that the artisan is being treated with prosperity wages. And I think your audience now understands what that is. Um, and while today the Blessing Basket Project is the first organization in the world on the scale that we are doing it to bring you direct communication to the artisan, we're the first, but tomorrow I hope that when you walk up to a display of artisan goods that 
you'll be able to talk, that talking to the artisan will be the normal thing as we move forward. But today we're the first, and we're saying this is the way it should be. Exactly. A consumer of an artisan good that is being told this good helps someone, you have the right, in our mind, you have the right, you should be able to talk directly to that artisan and find out yourself firsthand how your purchase of that product has changed their life. And if you can't, you need to think twice, in my opinion. You know, we get asked that a, a lot, and we think that this level of transparency all the way back to the artisan, again, while today it's unique, it's one of a kind, it doesn't exist anywhere else, tomorrow we think it should be the normal thing. Oh, my gosh. I'm so doing my letter to Stella. She's going to hear from <laughs> me. I can't wait. Awesome. So should we hear, who else should we hear from? In the, in the, I mean, I know you've got all these amazing things to share that yeah. you've shared with us. Who else should we hear from? Well, Chandan is our country director in Bangladesh, and I think he sums up our model pretty well. Let's hear from him. The blazing basket's goal is that women will wear baskets for blazing basket for a certain period of time so that they can earn money and start their business and just live with, they're busy with their business and another poor woman or some can come and sit and wave their basket for change her life. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Chandan is an amazing guy. He works with, we now have over 250 artisans in Bangladesh. We started off with 25 just a few short years ago. And today there's 250. We've already graduated, I think, 30-some-odd women out of poverty there. Many more are on the way. And for every one of those graduates, remember that there are three businesses ongoing. doesn't always mean they're employers, but many of them become employers. So, yeah, a lot of... Um, a lot of revenue is generated in the villages because of these businesses that they're starting. You know, I often get asked, what is the thing that I'm the most proud about with Blessing Basket Project? Like, what is that thing that we have done that um, I'm the most proud about? And I think, aside from the technology, which was pretty awesome. Yes. <laughs> second to the technology or equal to the technology, however you want to say it, um, is the girls' school that we built in northern Ghana. Um when we arrived in this little village of Niarga, by the way, I was married in the village of Niarga. Oh, that's In right. 2013. Um, this is a village that's just so close to my heart. These are my brothers. They're my sisters. They're people I consider family. I trust them with my life, as I do in all of our villages, but in particular, Niarga. And when the Blessing Basket Project arrived there, we found about 20 girls sitting on some hardwood benches with a chalkboard leaned up against a tree. And... That's how they were conducting school. That's school. They were I'll very determined. Female illiteracy was off the charts. It was in the 90th percentile in the village. Girls just didn't go to school. And those that could go to school, uh, that their parents had enough money for the school fees, often couldn't, couldn't complete through the sixth grade. That they, If they made it through school, they would, they would be forced out of school by the sixth grade when the, the um, fees for school would increase as you go into junior high and high school. So... With the help of Whole Foods Market, they give all of their profits back in the Midwest stores. All Whole Foods Market stores in the Midwest give their profits back. We took those monies and invested $35,000 and built a school. Oh. We have added on to that school over the years. It now has a, an ICT center, an internet technology center that has 20 computers. Um, it, it's got state-of-the-art bathrooms for, for that region of the world. Uh, we've added several school rooms, and today we have an enrollment of over 400 girls. Oh, my gosh. We have absolutely ended female illiteracy in that village, and I want you to hear 
a little bit more about the girls' school. I've brought a clip so you can hear how powerful these young women are. Oh, wonderful. The biggest moment was the arrival at the girls' school, the welcome at the girls' school, and getting to interact with the girls who Blessing Basket Project and Whole Foods Market are directly impacting. All those girls are weavers. I mean, they want to learn so bad. They're going to walk an hour to get to school. They're going to weave baskets at night so they can be in school. And they're just bright, beautiful, intelligent, strong young women. And it's just, you just see all this potential when you're around them. So those are our girls. And you can hear how powerful they are. And these are the future leaders of Ghana. We already have our first college student uh, mm -hmm. that went through that that junior high and high school that we or the junior high that we built. She went on to go to high school. So now remember, many of these girls are weavers, and so because they're earning these fantastic wages for the little baskets, the little baskets that you that I uh, gave you today, yeah, that's one of the ones that they weave. When they're when they're able to pay for their own school fees, there is nobody that can keep them out of school. So. Child marriage is plummeting. Oh, gosh. The number of, there isn't, as, as our country director there will tell you, there is no, as they say, girl child that is not in school now in that village. So we have absolutely ended female illiteracy. We have dramatically lowered, if not eliminated, female child marriage in that community. Girls are going on to high school, going on to college, and it's dramatically, dramatically changed that community and not only that community, that region and also the country because these young women, you can feel that power in their voice when they're singing. Um, they're going to be the leaders of this country. I, I, you can hear that and sense it's it. It's just brilliant. I love it. What, how do you decide where to go? I mean, Believe me, it took me a while to get you here, right? Because every time I would, <laughs> yeah. I would kind of take you like, I'm here, I'm there, I'm this yeah. other place. Like, what? how do you decide I'm going to go to that village? How does that happen? Well, we have currently seven countries that we work with. And within those countries, we have multiple villages that we're already expanding to. So the first place we expand is in the countries in which we've already invested in either buildings, infrastructure, staffing, and to you know, to, because there's there's a lot of poverty in those countries, as, right. you know, just just to keep us busy in those seven countries. However, we have a long waiting list of countries, uh, people who have visited countries, um, just people I've met along the way that that want us to come to India, Morocco, you know, Belize, Brazil, you know, so many countries around the world. And the one thing that we learned when we expanded to Madagascar back in 2007 is that we want to do it in conjunction with another nonprofit organization or another organization that has already been on the ground, kind of knows the players, knows who to trust, knows oh, what the true yeah. needs of the community are, uh, so that we're not having to do all that art upstart work. We can make a difference for, and go further faster when we're working with a collaborative partner on the ground. And so in Madagascar, we work with the Missouri Botanical Garden. There was tremendous pressure being put onto the forest there due to poverty, Blessing Basket Project moves in. We provide an income for many of the women there. And as a result, forest fires are now down to zero. And there are many other successes that we can talk about as a result of this collaborative project. And so what we've realized is there are amazing NGOs, nonprofit organizations around the world doing fantastic things. But we get at the root. When you end poverty, all of the other great work that those NGOs are doing, such as immunization and mosquito nets and malaria and all, you know, health education and um, human rights education can then be heard by the person when you quiet 
the cry of poverty. So what we've realized is we can make an even larger impact as we go to expand into countries when we start uh, collaborating with organizations who are already there doing work, but they need that economic engine in order for their work to be even the most effective. Is that making sense? It's amazing. And it's so profound. I mean, it's so profound because that poverty, when that's a part of someone's world, it takes over every part of their brain space. It's overwhelming. It's exhausting. It's difficult. You don't have time to be creative when you are sitting around thinking, oh my gosh, my kids are going to starve. How do I handle this? Yeah. So you've really, I mean, ending poverty is giving people back their brain. Right. And and their gifts. They're able to now share their gifts with the rest of us because poverty has ended for them. And when we find a woman, typically we work with women. We also work with men. We're about uh, 20, 80. We have about 20% men, 80% women. So it's not just uh, women, but uh, they, they are primarily the ones that do handicraft. So that's who finds us. Right. Or who we find. And um, when we find a woman and she's been uh, checked and cleared to go to become a part of our project, when we find her, the only thing she can see is her feet because she's looking down. Aww. That's the moment where we find her. Is That's all she can see. She can only see her feet. She can only see what's right here. She can only see that. And then when she starts weaving, she can start to see to her left and to her right. She can see her children. She can see her house. She can start to look left and right. But it's only in about a year in that she can actually look up. Oh, wow. And when you get a woman to the point where she can look up and look into the distance, magical things begin to happen. She can dream. She can think about tomorrow. And her life will never, ever be the same. So we know we've, we're successful when that woman can look up and look into what could be possible. Oh, my gosh. Teresa Carrington, thank you for being in this world. <laughs> Thank I you am, for giving I me the feels, opportunity to I share so, the story. I feel so blessed that I know about the blessing basket in you. So, okay, this is the part of our show where we get to do some questions, but we're changing this up, aren't we? Yes. Because I'm going to ask you a question and then you have some things for me. Yes, I do. So we got like a whole thing going on okay. here, people. All right. So my first question, okay, it, you, everyone, you have to listen to Teresa Carrington's TEDx Gateway Arch Talk. And so in it, awesome. you talk about how you had some interesting pets. In yes, I did. <laughs> and most specifically, my favorite was your skunk yes. named Trampus. Yes. Correct. Yes. You yes. liked macaroni and cheese. Oh, you you listened to the you listened to the talk. I see. <laughs> I was there live. Yeah. So, tell us what is the favorite of your pets that you've ever had over the years. I have to say, it actually was the skunk. Really? Uh, did yeah. he have like a personality? Yeah, he did. He was, uh, first of all, he slept with me at night like a dog. Um, and most people don't know this because you don't get close enough to a skunk, but they're very soft. Their hair is very soft. Aww. And we would sprinkle baby powder on him to, even though you take the scent sack out right, of a skunk, right. um, they, their oils still secrete a bit of a, an odor. Not much, but every now and then you're like, somebody needs a bath. Oh, no, it's just a skunk. (laughs) So you'd sprinkle him with baby powder, and that would would help. But he would uh, just kind of jump up into my bed just as a dog and wiggle down underneath my covers and sleep at my feet. I lived in a a drafty old farmhouse, and so he helped keep my feet warm. Except there was one time where I was in the valley of piss-offedness with this skunk (laughs) because— It was around Easter, and as a kid, my parents would hide big goose eggs, and those were worth money. 
So Ooh. I had found a goose egg worth five bucks, and I got my money, got my money, but there was this hard-boiled goose egg, and I was so proud of it, finding it. Well, Trampus found it and ate it one day, and I about lost my mind. <laughs> so, because, of course, he really liked that. So, yeah. But my favorite one was Trampus the skunk. He was soft. He kept my feet warm at night. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Okay, it's my turn. All right. Well, I want you to see if you can guess what this sound is. It comes from one of our countries. All right. I'm going to guess a goat. Is it a goat? Okay. So Misha's guess is a goat. That is actually not a goat. That is a human being. And uh, that was... Albina, she is our head artisan in Bangladesh, and this is how she's calling her chickens. So in Bangladesh, when they call their chickens or ducks, they make this sound. And the cutest thing in the world is when you see one of the little Bangladeshi toddlers going around calling oh, the chickens. My oh gosh, my gosh, that's so cute! And as uh, as we will both have a different tonation, and so if we stood side by side and called our our chickens or our ducks. They would know which woman really? to go to. Yeah, it's it's How fascinating. I've never seen it in any other country. Oh my gosh! So that was a human being, Albina. A human, not a goat. I'm sorry, Albina. <laughs> <laughs> but now I know what you were doing, yeah. so I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm okay. So people are very resourceful and innovative, and mm-hmm. I am sure you've gone to these villages and you've seen some rather innovative, resourceful items, things, ways of doing. Tell us something. Tell us something you've seen. You're like, wow, that's interesting. I never. I never thought of that, or I never, I didn't know people used that for that. Yeah. Um, I've got several. The one that I'll choose is the way our artisans in Ghana twist their straw. So the baskets in Ghana are of two strands of straw. It's called, it's from elephant grass that has been dyed and then it becomes a straw, or excuse me, dried and then it becomes a straw. So then they'll take that, they'll moisten it a little bit, and those two strands need to be. Um, twisted together in order to create the strength for the baskets. So they call it twisting. And what they will do is take a flip-flop, turn it upside down. They will have nailed it on a on a big piece of wood or a piece of tree or something. And you will see flip-flops that have been worn to near oblivion as they <laughs> use that sort of, really? st- um, I'll call it stickier surface, if you will, to roll that straw. Oh, how interesting. So, yeah, flip-flops. Another, another use for flip-flops yes, that we exactly. did not know. Yes. <laughs> so okay. when they blow out a flip-flop, they use it, uh, turn it over, <laughs> and use it for twisting straw. Interesting. Yeah. All right, so now I've got one more sound for you to guess. And okay. again, this is not from America. It's from one of our countries. I'm ready. Well, is this by any chance them rolling their straw on, on well, the flip-flop? Or are well, you rolling straw on flip-flops? <laughs> well, you're pretty close. That is actually the sound of weaving, also in Bangladesh. The two clips I brought today happen to be from Bangladesh. When they push the straw through the row as they're weaving and they pull that straw tight, it's not tight enough unless it squeaks. It's ah. like, so when you sit and listen to a group of like 200 women weaving in Bangladesh, it sounds like the closest analogy I can bring is like uh, shoes on a gym floor. There, it, all the squeaking is going on. 
And again, nowhere else in the world have I heard that sound. It's normally a quiet process of weaving, but not in Bangladesh. You hear all this squeaking. And going I love on. that sound has become a big thing with you. That yeah. you, you talk about the different sounds you now hear that you yeah. you don't hear anywhere else. You just hear them there. I think it's, it's true. I love it. <laughs> so I'm gonna go back to your TEDx talk. Okay. Because one of the things that you share is a pockets of peace. Yeah. Where is Teresa's pocket of peace? Without question, it's at my home. It's at home. I literally have a sign on my, uh, just just to the left of my door that says place of peace. Uh, my place of respite is at my home. I live in Edwardsville and I have about an acre of uh, ground there. It's not much, but it is the place I am most at peace and most restful. So it's a, it's a place also that keeps me very busy, but I, I absolutely love it there. That's a good place to have peace. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a yeah. fabulous place to have peace. Yeah. Well, Teresa Carrington, I cannot thank you enough for being here, but but for being here on earth in the big way uh-huh. and doing the amazing things that you've done. Um, you continue to amaze me. You continue to inspire me. I just love and adore you. And boy, the earth needs more of Teresa's out there. We could use more Teresa Carrington's out there. Well, it's the Mutual Admiration Society. We need more <laughs> mishes. We need more mish mashup. I think the way that you look at the world is unique and wonderful. And I'm just so honored to be in your sphere. So thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you, dear. And Everyone out there, please uh, look us up. We're on iTunes under Mishmash. It's M-I-C-H-M-A-S-H, all one word, Mishmash. Subscribe today, and you will get to hear people like Teresa Carrington, all the wonderful people that we've been blessed with on this earth. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you.